This is At The Turn. It's time for discussion and interviews about the world of golf you won't hear anywhere else. Here are your hosts, Nick Heidelberger and Joe Simons. Hello, hello. Welcome into a very special episode of At The Turn. Nick and Joe with you. We have a wonderful guest. Nick, we were we were fortunate to get this interview. She was very excited and I knew she was going to deliver and she did. An awesome interview, another yet another professional golfer joining the At The Term podcast, and uh, I, I honestly can't get enough of just like firsthand conversations with people who are going all in on this thing that is incredibly difficult, incredibly stressful, with so much pressure, and just acting like it's just another day in the life. I mean, you would never know that like talking to Victoria, that's a person who's about to embark on this like crazy roller coaster of a professional golf career um it was a fun conversation we we i can't wait to follow her journey yeah it's very exciting so we're talking to victoria gailey we did you'll hear that conversation in a few minutes she's a recent grad from the university of nevada a decorated career she's heading to lpga qualifying later this year she received a sponsor's exemption into this week's ebsen tour event in pendleton oregon at Wild Horse. Very excited for her to get that opportunity. We talk about the event, her college career, tips for traveling with golf clubs correctly, most important putt she's ever made, which was one of my favorite answers that we've had so far. She is an absolute delight, a bundle of energy and optimism. I played golf with her at Heron Lakes a couple weeks ago. I stayed within 15, so I feel pretty good about that. She shot a 69, and it felt like it could have been a 65. It, it was the first time she'd played that course before, too, which is there's a lot of dog legs. Um, and I guess my takeaway from that round is, Nick, and I've, I've said this and I've not been able to execute it, every time that I would tee off first, and not because I beat her on a hole, but because she was chatting and just told me to go first because she's a polite young lady, I would, you know, try to play a big cut or a big hook, and then Victoria would just aim to the widest part of the fairway, put the ball directly in the middle of that, hit it onto the green, and then make a birdie or two putt. It's like, oh, this looks this looks way easier, but the execution was always there. It was it was a real treat to play with her, real treat to talk to her. We're gonna get to that in just a few. Before we do that, I have to implore you once again to rate and review the podcast. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, let us know who will earn the most Ryder Cup points this fall in Rome, or don't. Just just leave us a review. Say, say you like the show. Say, boy, that Nick, I really empathize with him. I'm a lefty. It's tough to find lefty clubs. Whatever you want to say. Rate and review the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. If you do leave a review with who you think is going to earn the most Ryder Cup points this fall in Rome and are correct, we'll send you a box of Piper Golf Balls. Nick, it is time for the Handicap Report. It's brought to you by Blue Tees. Get the number one range finder in the game, the 3Max from Blue Tees. It's water-resistant, has pulse vibration when you lock it on the correct target in a magnetic strip, so you can slap it on the cart, save 10% when you use promo code TURN at checkout. That's TURN, T-U-R-N, for 10% off any product at Blue Tees. Blue Tees play different. I don't have a report. I'm still in the mid-8s. We're hanging tough. I'm not going to get greedy, Nick. It's not like I have to get down to a five by the end of the season and the world's going to fall apart. If I just stay, stay single digits, I've seen some progress, I'm going to be happy. Good for you. Uh, my, my, <laughs> my handicap has officially gone up six strokes. And if you would have told me, I, I mean, I'm a 24, 
okay. um, in some change. If you would have told me like your handicap is going to, it's going to move six strokes in the first like four months of this golf season, I would be, I would have been so excited on April 1st because I had so much confidence and I don't feel like, I don't, I feel like I'm a better golfer than like I almost, almost ever have been. <sighs> And that's, that's, that's my report. I just, I'm not, I don't know what else to say. You are hitting the most high quality shots. Just the small sample size that we've yes. had. I played four rounds of this year. You, you, you've hit more high quality shots than I, I remember you hitting. And it's not like you're hitting a lot of disaster shots. So I don't really know what the deal is either. Do you think, well, it's the disaster shot. No, it is the disaster is it? shots. I used to be really concerned. Like, Every shot before used to be like a six out of 10. I'd kind of chunk it. I hit like half inch behind the ball. I'd get like 80% of the distance I wanted or expected. And I'd be like in play and I would just like mm. get up and have a putt for bogey. And, you know, I'd either make, you know, a, like a, a one putt par or, or a two putt bogey or, you know, those yeah. doubles here and there. Now I'm putting, I'm transferring a lot of energy into that golf ball. It's going high. It's going far. And when it's, it's the disaster shots that are just like sailing out of bounds. And it's like, it's just an easy triple. And it's just just way too many of those. Yeah, golf. Is I, a game. I honestly feel. I, I know I meant I, I wanted to cut this off, but you 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 dug deeper, and, and here we go. I'm like one thing away from shooting like 15 strokes better. Like if I just get that club face under control a little bit better, get it a little bit more neutral through impact, like I'll be in the fairway a lot more. I'll be a lot closer to a lot of greens double and triple will be out of play a lot more often. I just got to like ratchet up that one thing. Um, you know, my, a mediocre short game is enough for me to shoot 85. If I just start hitting the ball a little bit straighter, that's all. Victoria is listening to this episode, patiently waiting for her interview to see how it went. And she told us a new here in a second that she has two mental game coaches and she's just thinking like, oh man, I should probably just text Nick these guys numbers. He needs, he needs some mental game coaching. I think that's a big part of it is just your perspective on this stuff. I don't know if it's necessarily physical. I mean, it's obviously the, 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 the mental manifestation of it is, is physical, but I do think that it is, it is mostly mental. It's club face control. That's where we're at. I, I, I thought we're done. Joe, I'm trying to be done talking about it. Stop. Stop bringing stop it up. Stop engaging. That stop. is the Handicap Report is brought to you by Blue Tees. Use promo code TURN at checkout. Mercifully, we have a lovely conversation with Victoria Gailey, team member of Matchstick Golf. Our friend, hopefully, I think we're going to play golf again. She's teeing it up in the Epson Tour this weekend. It was a really fun conversation. Here she is. Congrats on the sponsor's exemption into the Epson tour. I know we had talked about that a few weeks ago when we played golf together. You must be thrilled. I guess my thought is, and I'm sure you thought about this a lot. What does a successful week look like at Wild Horse for you? I think definitely a successful week would be making, getting in the money. So making the cut and, um, also just gain experience so that when I play um, next week or it's coming up close after this week, um, Q school. Um, yeah, just gaining experiences so that I can perform my best there because that's where, um, you know, it's really going to matter. And that's where I kind of set up my future for um, 2024 as far as playing time goes. 
Yeah, so getting in the money, making the cut, obviously, but at a bare minimum, sort of building momentum for Q School coming up. Exactly. Yeah, if I didn't receive the sponsor's exemption, I think I would have been a little like, oh, I got to go play some money games with people or, you know, get my competitive juices flowing because really this summer I've only been playing in qualifiers for USGA events and match play events. And so I do my best when I'm playing competitive golf a lot and match play is different than stroke play for me. And so going into Q School, which is essentially the biggest um, kind of event of my career this far and you know like I said determines my future for 2024 um, I definitely would have wanted to get some competitive round of stroke play under my belt and so this is a perfect scenario for me getting into this event. Victoria are you suggesting that watching me shoot an 82 at Heron Lakes isn't preparing you for <laughs> professional golf? Uh, no not exactly. Sure. Um, uh, but there is something to be said that's different than when I'm just going to play casual rounds where, you know, anyone can shoot 64 on their home course with when nobody's watching, but there, it's a little different when, um, you know, it, you're, it counts and every, everyone's watching and, you know, it's worth something. Um, my uh, old swing coach always used to say, um, does anyone know what Tiger Woods shot at his home course last week? And no, everyone's like, no, because it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It's It matters how he performs in the tournament. So, yeah, <laughs> kind of that's why I wanted to, you know, get some practice competitively because it's, it's just different. Yeah. Um, I always find this fascinating when somebody is making the the, the journey into professional golf. Was there a moment when you were playing golf and you were just like, yeah, I absolutely can do this professionally. Like golf is such a hard game, but like everybody can hit a professional quality shot like every so often. But what was the moment where you're like, yep, I'm good enough to do this with the best in the world? Yeah, it wasn't a specific moment. It was more of a accumulation of moments, I think. Um I've always had the dream of playing professional golf, but getting that feeling of like, oh, this is actually a reality for me um, happened throughout college and playing in college. Um, but specifically last fall, because um, in college we have a fall and a spring season. So um, I had won a college event before during COVID times. Um, but other than that, I hadn't won. I've had a lot of top tens, a lot of, you know, top fives been close. And then in the fall, I won three college tournaments in a row. Um, I shot 15 under, um, for three rounds in one of those tournaments. And, um, once I kind of did that and strung like a bunch of good rounds together, I won multiple tournaments in a row. Um, really it was kind of that, um, showed me that I know how to get better. Um, and so uh, that really gave me the confidence of, you know, if I stay on this path and just continue to um, do the things I know how to do to get better, I'm going to continue to get results like this. And I think I have like that edge that, um, that I compete at the highest level. So it wasn't like one moment. Yeah, it was more of like a, uh, 
you know, kind of the journey of college golf um, through those five years, because I got five years because of COVID, um, and just how much I evolved from freshman Victoria to fifth year Victoria, yeah, really just showed me that um, I think I have something that not everyone has. Before that string of tournaments, like, is, is there something you can point to that you were working on that paid off for that for that stretch of like going from like having this having the talent and the ability to like converting it into three wins in a row? Was there like one thing that was like boom that that cashed in? Um, I think I attribute um, a lot of that success I had in the fall to um, a lot of the mental game work I was doing. Um, the previous summer I won the Oregon Am, which is an, was another big really um you know confidence booster for me and kind of like wow it's such a long week and so being able to uh play good in really high pressure situations of match play and you know winning my state um am which means so much to me um I, that really helped me as well but um for that week, I worked a lot on mental game for a couple of months leading up to it. And then all the learnings that I took from that event, I continued to work on through the rest of summer and into fall. And then in fall, I had kind of this like breakthrough where I was, you know, I shot, um, was shooting my best scores ever and qualifying. And then that led up into the tournaments as well. And so I definitely think you know, the technical side was the stuff I'd been doing for a long time, but I really amped up my mental game side um, during that summer leading up. And I think that's what really helped me um, uh, get it done when I needed to, especially getting the three wins in a row. That was, I never would have dreamed of that happening. And um, because of my really good mental foundation, I was able to do it. So yeah, we had we had talked about that a little bit on the golf course. Um, someone that we play with together the other day, Logan asked you the question, so I'll give him credit for it. But he wanted to know from you, Victoria, what is the key to going low? How do you turn a seventy-one into a sixty-six? And I assume the mental game is the number one way you do that. Yeah, I I remember telling Logan that. Um, yeah, your body and your subconscious wants you to be in this comfortable zone, wherever that is. And um, if you're used to shooting, you know, even par, couple over, couple under, you're just going to be comfortable there. And once you start shooting, let's say you're four under or five under through 12 holes, um, there's a good chance that if you don't have a good, you know, mental awareness and also the tools to uh, combat that you're going to self-destruct a little bit and it's going to bring you back to your baseline. And so, um, yeah, I think having the mental awareness and tools to be like, Oh, this is what's happening. Let me, uh, make an adjustment so I can stop my subconscious from kind of sabotaging me in this moment, you know? So so it's the conscience battling the subconscious, basically. It's like, I'm doing this thing that I like maybe think that I can do, but deep down, I know I'm one under, and typically I'm five over at this point. So I'm going to reverse that by hooking this out of bounds real quick. You got to fight that down and push it away. 
yeah, yeah. And it's not even so much just pushing it away. It's like having a conversation with it and just being like, I know that this is happening, but you know, we're not in danger right now. We're, we're just on the golf course. We're not, you know, it's like you get very similar, like body responses to if you're like a caveman fighting a wild animal, like, and it's just like, that's not what's happening. Um, We're just on the golf course, like having a good time. No need to have all this fight or flight response happening right now. But yeah, it is very much a battle between your conscious and your subconscious for sure. That's what a lot of, um, you know, mental coaches base their philosophy off of. And I totally, um, yeah, that's the way it works in my brain for my um, tools that I use. So, awesome. yeah. I got to ask, because we've, we've touched on the mental game um, er- earlier this year. Is there a, like, one, like, person or mental game technique or, like, umbrella that you that you fall under? Or do you just kind of explore all of the Rotella and the Vision 54, all of that stuff? Is there is there one you follow? Or what, what, how did you pursue that? Um, so I have two mental coaches and they both handle, uh, kind of different sides. So I have, um, one mental coach that helps me, um, with more of like the brain stuff. Like it's, it almost sounds kind of like, uh, like voodoo, juju. (laughs) I don't even know. Like it kind of sounds odd when I explain it to people. Um, but it's, it's stuff that I do not know how to do. I just kind of follow along and we have these sessions and it's more of like a therapy almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like brain spotting and doing all this really cool stuff that basically um, when done right can like rewire my brain to like forget bad memories and like all it's really cool stuff. And then I have another mental coach, which is more of on like the vision 54 lines where um, it's not vision 54, but it's um, similar in that it's like golf specific stuff. Like when I'm on the golf course, um, I use the tools that she gives me and it's also like mindset stuff and all of that. So um, yeah, I, I've been working with them for six seven years now since I was in high school um and so and then just gradually through college I've ramped up um my own side of that training because you know it it's not just going to the sessions or going on the phone calls I have to do practice on my own as well so just gradually I've ramped that up but um yeah those are those are my people and they really helped me so much (laughs) no it's it's super important I think I think that's awesome um, okay, my real question was, uh, is there one aspect of your game, one element of your game that you need to like really focus on to transition from being a high-level amateur to a successful professional? Or is that what you hope to identify, you know, throughout this month, you know, when you start making these kind of professional starts? Yeah, I think a little bit of both. I have an idea that, you know, um, I need to continue um, working on my putting and, um, cause you know, making putts is, uh, you can hit it as close as you want, but you have to make the putts to make birdies and score. And putting has always been, um, something for me that has, uh, it ebbs and flows. It goes 
good and bad. It's a little streaky, but gradually as I've worked on it, my streakiness has gone in a good direction. So I've, I've been trending better, but I know I want to continue to work on that. Driving distance for sure. I am like in the middle, middle long range, but um, like stats are showing that like the longer you hit it, the easier the game is. And so um, definitely want to continue to hit the ball as far as I can. And then, um, like you said, I'm hoping like once I kind of see what the difference is between the courses that I played in college at the amateur level and the course setups for um, the tour, kind of seeing like what I need to work on. I think a lot of it will have to do with course management, where I'm hitting it into the greens, if I'm uh, you know, if I'm short sighting myself and stuff like that, um, maybe I could have gotten away with that more in amateur golf, but at the tour level, you know, that could lead to doubles or stuff like that. So really just probably it's going to be driving, putting and, uh, course management stuff. Victoria, when you see golfers on the LPGA tour that are having success so quickly, does that encourage you to say, I mean, a year from now, I could be competing on this tour. Or do you feel like it is an outlier, like a Rosang or a Lydia Ko? Do you feel like that's more of like, okay, well, that's sort of an exception. And everyone else, in terms of like people that are on the tour, kind of in the middle of the pack, is a little bit different. Like, is it encouraging to see a Rosang or is it discouraging, I guess is my question. Um, I think overall it's encouraging. I will say Rose is like an exception to the rule she had like an amazing college career and she just like dominated she's had all top tens in the majors she's like a beast and so but I think it's encouraging because um you know I've played in college events with Rose like not in her group but in the same fields and um and you know I played with a lot of players in college, you know, who are on the ebbs and tour now or um, making their way to the LPGA. And so it's really helped me realize that the gap um, is not that large. So um, it's really just a matter of like, you know, getting your break a little bit, um, like playing well at the right times. Um, and cause ev- like you said, everyone can kind of play or like hit tour shots, but even with those girls, it's like all of us can play. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, when the stakes get a little higher, can you still, um, you know, do it. Um, so I think overall it's, in, uh, really encouraging and, um, yeah, I'm super excited. And I believe that I, I can, uh, yeah, be out there in a couple of years, if not this year. I don't know. We'll just see how Q school goes and all of that. Yeah, I gotta yeah. ask real quick. Do you do you know if you ever beat Rose in a college tournament? Um, I don't think I've ever beaten her. Uh, we we played like a couple of events, and most of them she won. Um, <laughs> yeah, there Typical. was we. Yeah, yeah we played. Um, this Nevada played an event with Stanford. Uh, it was in Millbrae at Green Hills Country Club. And it was so cool. They had like the LPGA type like box tea markers and like sponsor banners behind it. It was super cool. And Stanford was there. And um, Rose didn't, that was like one of the tournaments that Rose didn't win. And um, I think I got like seventh and she got fifth. And so I was only like one shot away from her. And so I was like, whoa, this is kind of cool. (laughs) Like, 
yeah it's like oh she like that's what I mean when kind of it's like everyone can play Rose is an exception she is like you know world number one for amateurs even though she's a pro now she's still like world number one to me but um uh yeah it, it just goes to show that like everyone's pretty close it's just a matter of getting into events and playing well when you get in and then you know there's it's it's not too much of a disparity but I think the part of the professional game that golf fans don't really think about very often and I know I don't until I heard you kind of talking about it on the golf course the other day but sort of like the fundraising aspect of this uh as as we all know golf is not cheap and if you can have sponsors to lift some of the burden especially when you're in the stage you are right now it can certainly help can you talk about that process and maybe shed some light on the reality of trying to become a professional golfer, just coming, even as a decorated college golfer, like yourself, how the, the, the challenges that there are. Yeah. So I, it's actually funny. I was just talking to a group of people yesterday who were, um, you know, who know about golf and kind of, uh, but they know about other sports as well. And they were saying how, um, you know, like, uh, baseball players for example you know they get drafted and they get a salary but then they also get all of their travel covered for it too like you know so it's where golfers there's you know we don't get drafted um we don't have a salary it's like you have to show up and play and that's how you get paid and then also uh we have to like pay for all of our travel and all do all of that ourselves we don't some when you get at the higher level you know you probably have a manager or an agent who deals with these things but um you know for the starting out professional golfer it takes about if you have a full schedule of about 20 events um yeah it's going to take it's like $2000 per event for um you know entry fee and all the travel and then so that's like $60,000 you know just for um like your baseline and that doesn't include like you know if you're not making money and all that stuff like how do you survive um so yeah it's intimidating for sure and um a lot of the stuff that I'm probably going to start talking to my mental coaches about is how to um you know separate myself from uh trying to like make money or like feeling like oh my gosh this Mm. putt's worth you know money or whatever um because I mean if it helps me play that's great but I if it doesn't help me play I need to figure out how to manage that new kind of beast that comes with professional golf and just trying to survive um to make a living so that I can keep doing this yeah I mean you always see commentators say oh that putt was worth fifteen thousand dollars something (laughs) crazy like that I get nervous over a putt when my handicap might go down 0.1 point. I'm like, all right, I better knock this in. I got to get down to an eight, six. So I get yeah. it. It's, it's pressure. It's pressure. So that's, mm-hmm. that's a really interesting perspective though, Victoria, because you think it could have the opposite effect. Whereas if there is extreme stakes on the line, can your mental coaches harness that and make that a positive for you rather than a negative? Yeah. Well, they even say like, um, like mental gurus and stuff about the game or just sports is that like the area before you're in the zone is actually kind of a state of anxiety and like heightened you know like almost that um fight or flight response can like launch you into the zone to when then you're playing and you don't have to think about anything and it just is like this amazing 
uh, place <laughs> where you can, everything just goes in the hole, you know what I mean? So, um, so I think, uh, like, even when I was qualifying for college, um, I was not a great, like, qualifier. Like, I got the job done to, like, you know, get the one or two spot or whatever, but the tournaments is where I really turned it on, and it's almost like I needed that extra um, thing to be on the line um, to help me play. Like, I think even when I'm, you know, 30 years from now, and if I'm just like a, a weekend golfer, just if I, if I don't, if I stop playing competitively, I don't know if I would really like it. I feel like I always have to have something on the line. Cause that's just, you know, I'm not, like, I love golf and I love the feeling of hitting good shots and, you know, doing all of that, but I also enjoy the competitive part of it. And so, um, I think having that extra little pressure, if you can manage it and use it to your advantage, can help you play your best golf. That's so interesting. One thing I did want to ask you about, because you travel a lot more than the average golfer with golf clubs. You told me you had a cool little bag for like your push cart, which sounds amazing. So (laughs) I see so many horror stories from professional golfers on Twitter about their clubs and damage. I'm curious, do you have any tips of the best way to make sure your golf clubs get from point A to point B? Because that must be a constant thing for you. Yeah, I have only had one bad experience of where like my clubs didn't make it to the destination and then they had to drive them to my hotel the next day and like all of that. That was in, I think I was 16 years old or something. So I've never had any bad experience with with that knock on wood for my future um but I definitely know like air tags or having some sort of like tracking thing that you can see on your phone is great because then um when the airlines aren't uh communicating with you at least you can have a little bit of insight as to where they are um I use um like one of those hard covers that are attached to like a stick and you put it inside your golf bag and it's so that if your clubs get pushed or dropped on the club heads that that like uh it won't put stress on the club shaft it'll be on the that little protective dome uh thing and then um those are like my two main tips if you really want to be hardcore you can take your drive your heads of your woods off and put the shafts in upside down in your golf bag and put the heads you know in your backpack or um, whatever I don't do that but my boyfriend Sam who has um, who's on the PGA Tour Canada and Corn Ferry he does that but I do not that's what I do when when I uh, yeah actually I live in New England and I travel to Idaho with my golf clubs once a year and yeah I I pop those heads off anything I can do to protect them uh, yeah for sure I just, I don't trust myself to properly take the head off of my driver. I know that they've made it essentially dummy proof at this point, and I could probably (laughs) improve my ball flight with just one turn of a wrench, but I'm terrified to do it. So I'm going to leave the heads on and just gamble. I'm going to Banff in a a month and I'm going to bring my clubs and yeah, 
I'll I'll take my chances. Look, if they break, it's an excuse to buy new sticks. That's the way I look. At it. <laughs> there you go. That's a good. That's a good way to think about it. Um, Victoria Gailey, you've been so generous with your time. We are so excited to follow your progress. Uh, the Epson tour this week and at Q School coming up. Before we let you go. It is time for Turn 10. It is brought to you by Piper Golf. 10 rapid-fire questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, Jessica or Nelly? Nelly. Number two, hole-in-one or lowest round ever? Lowest round ever. And what is that lowest round ever? 64, but Oof. hopefully 63 this week. There you go. Love it. Number three, best part of college golf? winning <laughs> number four worst part of college golf mm, finals <laughs> <laughs> number five what's your favorite course in the state of oregon mm, columbia edgewater mm, good i hope you're playing there in a month or so uh, <laughs> number six favorite club mm, driver Number seven, what's the most important putt you've ever made? Mm, I It was a three-foot putt um, in a playoff at, for the Seattle U event that was my second win in a row in the three that I won in the fall. Oh, wow. Just like a nervy three-footer for a win? Slider, too. <sighs> and it was in the playoff, and I had it to win. My hands were shaking, um, but... Just goes to show you can still make putts when you can't feel your body and you're you're shaking. Nick, let's remember that. That's our takeaway from this episode. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> Number eight, fade or draw? Fade. Your fade maybe goes one yard, Nick. It's the straightest ball I've ever seen. It's amazing. <laughs> Number nine, are breakfast balls ever okay? Uh, yeah, just not in a tournament. <laughs> <laughs> Number 10, how early should someone arrive to the course before their tea time? Mm, like 50 minutes. If you're if you want to do like a full nice warm up and get, you know, ready to take everyone's money. There you go. <laughs> I love it. Victoria, where can people follow you on social media if they want to be part of your journey? Um, they can follow me on Instagram. It's just my name, Victoria Gailey. Awesome. We are so excited. Best of luck this week. Best of luck in Q School. And hopefully we'll talk to you next year when you're teeing it up on the LPGA Tour. Thank you so much. This was really fun. Thanks, Victoria. Good luck. Thanks. All right. That was a blast. Thanks again to Victoria. She had four wins. You heard her say, including three straight last fall. A few more accolades. The best career stroke average in University of Nevada program history, the best single season stroke average in University of Nevada history. So she's the best all time in terms of best scores for a career and for a single season. She won three straight events. She's the real deal, Nick. I love how casually she just like mentions winning three collegiate tournaments in a row. Humility. Like, I, I, I don't think I've ever strung three pars together in a row. And she's just like, <laughs> Casually mentioning her third straight collegiate victory. Uh, incredible. Can't wait to see um, how she does in her professional first few years and, and, and climbs that ladder. I'm going to be grinding over the results. I'm excited. I'm going to be on the social meds. I'm going to be 
swiping the app, refreshing the Epson tour. I'm going to star Victoria Gailey on my phone. I'm, I'm very excited. I encourage you all of you to do that as well. It is now time for the Mad Golfer of the Week brought to you by Piper Golf. Use the promo code TURN10 at checkout for 10% off everything at Piper.Golf. Golf balls for plus ones and 25s for much, much less than a Titleist or Callaway. The season is here. Stock up using promo code TURN10 at checkout at Piper.Golf. That reminds me, Nick, um, before we teed off uh, with Victoria, one of the guys was like, let's play a game. And in my head, I'm like, I don't want to play a game with a professional golfer. It's like, I'm, I already won. I'm playing with her. And he's like, all right, well, I'm a, I'm a six, Joe's an eight, you know, yada, yada. Victoria, what do you usually play at? And she's like, what? And he's like, well, what do you play at? And she's like, well, my handicap is a plus four. And I just like wanted to get in the car and drive away. <laughs> <laughs> and she played like it too, plus four. Okay. She is not the mad golfer of the week. We're going to Wild Horse Golf Course in Pendleton, Oregon, site of this week's Epson Tour event. Here is Sean Miles. Quote, Went here to golf with four people. We were going to golf for three days. The pro shop attendant was extremely rude. He said I needed a collared shirt to be allowed on the course. Nowhere on the website does it say anything about a dress code. Do I have collared shirts? Of course. Would I have bought one on the spot in the pro shop? Of course. I was dressed casually to golf with my buddies and enjoy. Now you lost $600 worth of business and maybe my casino trips for a while along with my high roller buddy. Too bad some butthole minimum wage counter attendant cost you. <laughs> this is an all-time mad golfer of the week. Um, okay. I, it's my favorite when people like count the number of dollars this business is going to lose. Like this $600 once every four years is going to is gonna put this put this golf course facility under. And his high roller buddy. I'm not a high roller, but my buddy, he, my, my buddy, buddy is. He is. Oh, yeah. He is a high roller. Um, he owns six, seven, elevens, and he mm, comes and dumps a mm, lot of money in your joints. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I actually kind of want to unpack a little bit more of this. Go. The collared shirt thing. Yeah. Okay. You don't need to put on the website wear a collared shirt. Like, it's it's a golf course. It's It should be understood. It's implied. It is implied. But I, I've been considering breaking this rule lately. My last few rounds have hmm. been first tee time in the morning, right? 5.45, pace of play is about 90 minutes faster. Um, I can get home, get everything done by like 9.30 and have a normal day. Great. Probably contributes to my my mid-20s handicap, but no big deal. Um, no sleep, no coffee, let's go. It, yeah, exactly. It feels a little ridiculous putting on a collared shirt to play in a two-and-a-half-hour round of golf at 5.45 in the morning. And I, I still have done it, but I'm like... I don't like the look of like the blade shirts or like the collarless golf shirts, mm. but I'm actually being like some some part of me is being pulled in that direction. I haven't jumped off that cliff yet, but like talk me through this. I'm there. I'm there. Okay. Um, it. I just think about the course that I'm going to. And if I'm going to a course that hosts a professional golf event, I should probably wear a collared shirt. If I'm going to Glendivere, I don't need to wear a collared shirt. If I'm going to Heron Lakes, you probably do. I think you just need to err on the side of wearing a collared shirt unless you're familiar with the track and you know that people don't need to wear collared shirts out there. I do think it's a very case-specific situation. 
It depends on how nice the course is. That's all it is. I don't think there's anything wrong with wearing a t-shirt. I wore a t-shirt at Glendivere when I had that really good round. It's very comfortable. Didn't felt weird. Didn't feel out of place. I just think it depends on the track. Yeah, that that makes sense. I'm more like depending on my tee time because no track, I think, that I play is like worthy of always wearing a collared shirt. But I'm like, okay, if it's six in the morning, I'm going to play in two and a half hours. I shouldn't have to wear a collared shirt. But do you just go... T-shirt, like logo T. Do you go like sporty, like gym T? Something like, does it matter? It doesn't matter. Where, where are we at? I usually go T-shirt. Um, I, I try to wear something nice, not ratty. I will say the one disadvantage you have is you're in the Northeast. And those people take that shit a lot more seriously than they do out on the West Coast. Like if you were to play U of I in a T-shirt, I don't think anyone would care at all. No. But if you were to play Palouse Ridge in a T-shirt, they'd probably care. They would. Yeah. yeah. That's okay. the difference. It's just It's just your audience in the Northeast. I don't know if you're going to get away with a t-shirt during peak hours. I think old men would love to see a young person and like tell them to wear a collared shirt or get the hell off this golf course. I think they'd love to do that. Yeah. I think I'll stick to uh stick to a collared shirt for now. At for U now. of I, what- at U of I, I'll, I'll, I'll switch it up. That's perfect. And go. that is your mad golfer of the week. With that, it is now time for Nick rolls brought to you by matchstick golf. Use promo code turn 20 at checkout. Well, Joe, we're sticking with the theme of trying to make it in pro golf. We're heading mm-hmm. to the developmental tours, PGA Tour Canada. Yeah. Um, this has been reported Monday Q Info, one of my favorite follows on social media websites, uh, broke this story. Justin Doden made a double bogey seven on the last hole on Friday. The last hole before the cut is to be determined to move one stroke outside the cut. He goes to the scoring table. His partner signed his scorecard that confirm everything. Before he turns his scorecard and he says, hey, let me get that back for a second. I got to go confirm some things. Should have been a red flag. For whatever reason, it was not a red flag. He leaves. He goes, gets his eraser out, erases that seven, writes down a five, goes and turns it in. They put it on the scoreboard. His playing partners, like presumably 10 minutes later, are like, what the heck, dude? Uh, this guy scores two strokes lower than what he really shot. Let's go see what's going on. They inform the scoring table. They get both partners, the scoring official, say, no, he definitely made a seven there. They look at his scorecard. They can clearly see a seven was erased and replaced with a five. They ask Justin about it. He says, no, I made a five. They say, okay, we're going to keep investigating. He calls them and says, you know what? I think I'm going to WD from this event. I'm going to bail, guys. (laughs) I'm out. Because he was WD'd from the event. 13 players made the cut on the number. Had he not been caught, all of those guys would have missed the cut by a stroke. Wow. Wow. So it does it does make the mind wonder if it wasn't that situation, would he have come clean and WD? Clearly he was caught, okay? But if there was 13 guys that were not going to hate him forever because he was literally costing them money by cheating – would he have confessed or would he have st- stuck to his story? My sense is those 13 players had nothing to do with his decision. Mm. I think he was like... Just caught. I think he was caught up in the moment. Like, I, benefit of the doubt. Like, he 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 made he did, did something really stupid, right? Yeah. Did, he probably was like, yeah, man. You got three people confirming I made a seven. They're looking at the scorecard. They can tell I erased it. Like, 
am I going to really sit here and like double down on this? There's probably nowhere to go from there. So I'm just going to, <laughs> I'm just going to see myself out. I don't think he, he thought once about those 13 players. I think he thought like, it's me against the world. And there's <laughs> like, I'm guilty as hell. So why am I going to sit here and lie about it even more? He robbed a bank. He stole the bags with the paint bombs in them. Mm-hmm. And he was sitting in the police jurisdiction, the, the, the police, what the hell is it called? The police thing, the police station. Oh, I can't the, the, the holding cell? The drunk He's tank? covered in blue, Interrogation in blue room? He's yes. caught. He was caught. He was caught. He's caught. Oh, my goodness. That was, that was, that one was brutal. Don't cheat. I hope, I hope nothing like that happens to, to Victoria. No, nothing like that happened to Victoria. Uh, okay, that is Nick Rules. Victoria, best of luck. Check her out on the Epson tour. We keep plugging along, Nick. We're almost uh, we're almost out of professional golf. Like it's almost it's almost football season. We're almost there. So sad. See you next time. I'm really, I'm really gonna miss it. <laughs> I'm Lacey Evans. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time at The Turn.